And we're live. Welcome back to Subject to Cross. I'm your host, Caroline Donato. Uh, and I'm uh, co-host, Pete Kratza. Did we change our music yet? No, not yet. All right. I apologize to our listener. Um, we will change the music. There's some copyright issues and uh, differences of artistic opinion. <laughs> copyright issues? Yeah. I mean, I, I'd want to use uh, Public Enemy, but I don't think we can use that oh, without okay. their permission. Before we get into this episode, uh, the substance of this episode, we want to address a few housekeeping items. Can you turn your phone off, please? I'm doing that. That's what I'm doing. There. Okay. So we've received a lot of uh, feedback after the first few episodes of recording, which uh, we appreciate because, I don't know, it's surprised me to have so many active listeners. So I consolidated on a list. Uh, the <laughs> Why are you laughing? I'm just surprised we have any listeners, but go ahead. Active so, or inactive. Right. So I consolidated on a list the general feedback that we've received. Um, number one, listeners seem to really enjoy that this podcast isn't scripted. And indeed it is not. It sure isn't. I don't think you could script you. Mm. Um, number two, they want to know, the listeners want to know who our intended audience is. They told us we have to choose. So I'm going to say this whole list and then we can go through each one okay. by one because you seem to want to respond to certain things. Um, I, well, we talked before we went on air that I'm going to try to talk less and make you talk more. Number three, listeners would like a regular schedule of episodes. Number four, listeners asked for a hook and a bit or two. And number five, listeners also crave some structure. They want to know what to expect for each episode. So we'll address each one of those things. Um, again, listeners seem to like that this podcast isn't scripted. Well, good. It will continue to be not scripted. Right. Number two, they want to know who our intended audience is and that we have to choose. Candidly, we didn't really have any... <laughs> Are you calm? <laughs> I find new things to do in the studio all the time. I just realized that the chair has like, uh, you can lift the armrest. It's much more comfortable now. Thank you. Uh, so who is our desired audience? Is that right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't think we had necessarily an intended audience when we started. We just started this. We thought it would be fun. And um, I'll go into what I think the mission of our podcast is ultimately and what drove us to start it. But... Now that we have been put on the spot and our intended audience wants to know who they are, it is the everyday listener. It is not other criminal lawyers. It can is, be. It can be. I mean, I hope our colleagues listen. Um, but we're not here to teach other lawyers how to be lawyers. We're here to explain to the general public what's going on, what we do, and the practicalities of that. I agree. I, I do agree. Good. Number three, listeners would like a regular schedule of episodes. <sighs> yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, it's just difficult right now. Maybe one day, but um, it's... It's bad enough that Caroline has to be in an office with me, but to subject Caroline to being in a studio like this with me once a week, she would no longer work with me. Yeah, it's borderline abusive. Yeah, I would agree. Um, there is a table between us, though. Okay, that's good. And I do a grapes today to throw at you. Well, <laughs> and you also have Pedialyte. 
Yeah, I do have Pedialyte. I mean, you're drinking Pedialyte, <laughs> and I'm drinking coffee. Talk about, like, opposite ends of the spectrum. I'm not going to ask why you drink Pedialyte. Well, since you brought I'm it up. I'm intrigued. Since you brought it up. I I actually really like Pedialyte. Um, I'm to really... remind you of your childhood? No, I never had it as a child, but... Yeah, you did. Probably. I don't think so. You just so. don't remember, because they give it to infants. <laughs> so, Pedialyte has a lot of electrolytes. Um, I'm really tired. I mean, you know how busy we've been. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just need electrolytes. I need caffeine. I already had three cups of coffee. Ooh. Yeah. All right. All right. So Pedialyte tastes good. All the right. coffee here at, uh, where are we again? We're at Align Space. Uh, coffee at Align Space is decent. Align Space is in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Um, what, Sine, or like, do we have sponsors? Are we sponsored by Pedialyte and Align Space? No, not yet. But okay. I'd hope so. Maybe we can. Work in, work that in. All right, so listeners would like a regular schedule of episodes. Not yet, sorry, but we're trying. Number four, uh, listeners asked for a hook. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Because you don't Because I don't know this. and don't really care to know, frankly, what a hook and a bit is. Pete. It sounds like we're trying to hoodwink somebody, like a hook. Pete's never listened to a podcast before. Proudly. So um, the hook is now that we've narrowed our intended audience, we'll make it clear that every episode we will teach you something new in criminal law. Which brings that's me That's a hook. That's a hook. That's okay. what we do every episode. We teach right. Sorry, our Sorry, am I kicking oh, I'm kicking the table. We teach our intended audience, the re- everyday listener, regular people, um, new things about criminal law. Okay. Every episode. That's a hook. That's a hook. So you can mail in your questions in furtherance of that hook, of that purpose. Uh, you can mail in your questions to subject to cross at com, spelled subject to cross at m a c e l r e e dot com. And then they also ask for a couple of bits. So here's what I came up with. Can you tell me what a bit is? A bit is like a. I texted this to you yesterday. Something you put in a horse's mouth, right? <laughs> What's a bit? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I can't even talk with you today. All right, I'll tell you what. I won't make eye contact. I'll look at this ceiling, and you tell me what a bit is. Just do me a favor, just so I can get through this intro. Stop, like, making faces at me. All right, okay. Stop manipulating your chair. Just be quiet. A bit is basically something um, consistent and, I I guess, a, a small type of happening that happens every episode so a a bit could be um something to break up the episode but it's consistent in theme every week so for example the bits i came up with and you know basically all you marketing people out there if i didn't give the correct definition send us an email at subject across at com. is it an acronym not that i know of okay but the first bit that we'll do every episode and this can evolve is you don't know this Oh, oh wait no that's the second bit the first bit is you may think you can, but you can't. So every episode, after we teach you something, we will we will go into the segment, you may think you can, but you can't. Okay. And then after that bit, we're going to end every episode on a more of a personal note because it seems our listeners like that. Mm-hmm. And our bit will be, you don't know this, but, and we'll tell you something that you don't know about us or our practice or All right, I'm everything. willing to give that a try. Um, I would like. Um, prior to our next episode, uh, a legitimate definition of what a bit is, so I know 
uh, what I'm doing. Um, but I'm, I'm willing to give that a try. Thanks. I mean, this is a learning process. But so. no one will structure me. Is that the next one? Uh, the next one does pertain to structure. Structure. But crave you, some structure. Yeah. You know me. I don't like structure. I know you don't like structure. I know you don't want to be contained. I'm Correct. not trying to contain you. All right. Uh, but this is just to give some structure to our listeners. And okay. they do crave a little bit of structure. And that structure comes inherently in the form of the hook. We'll teach you something every episode. And the two bits. I literally almost did a spit take of my coffee. But okay. All right, before we get into the substance of this episode, in furtherance of that structure and everything I just outlined, um, I wrote down what I thought would be the best way to explain our podcast mission. Because if we have a foundation upon which we grow this podcast, I think it should flourish. Okay. All right. All right, so our mission is the following. Criminal defense practitioners work to ensure a fair process and outcome for all individuals. Our state and federal constitutional rights encourage fairness. In this country, we all have the same rights. If the system fails for one, it fails for all. As criminal defense lawyers, we fight to make the system work, to make it fair. That's why what we do matters. Our mission with this podcast is to put you, the listeners, on the ground floor of that process so that we and you can help make it better. Wow. I actually like that. Thanks. All right, so let's move forward with this episode. We're going to teach you something. Pete, what are we going to teach them? Oh, God. Uh, Are we going to talk about procedure? Yes. Okay, so you start. (sighs) Okay. Pete, what happens when a person gets arrested? Man, I should have started, and then you would have to talk a lot. Okay. We'll have a dialogue about this. There are one of two ways that a a state court case, and and Caroline and I primarily practice in state court, so a lot of our uh, uh, comments pertain to that procedure. Um, Generally in in state court, a case is initiated by a criminal complaint, and that criminal complaint uh, can be sent to you in the mail, or you can be uh, subject to an arrest warrant. For instance, if a police officer sees you commit a crime uh, in person, allegedly, I always say allegedly, uh, they can arrest you and take you before a judge and have you uh, put on bail. Uh, More commonly, um, at least in in the context of misdemeanors, you will receive a criminal complaint in the mail. Um, And we can talk about, and I think we have talked about in other episodes, even when you're charged with a felony, which technically needs to go out as a warrant, that we if we get involved early enough, uh, arrange to avoid you being abs- you know, actually taken into custody, put in handcuffs on a, on a felony. Um, why don't you talk some more about that? So the first episode, actually, when we talked about, um, we highlighted cases that we thought were interesting just to give listeners an overview of some of the things we do. I referenced that uh, theft case, the Rite Aid theft case, mm-hmm. CVS theft case, because there were four of those Um, The diamond-studded dog collar? Yes. Yeah, I was listening. I know, the $20 dog collar. They were fake diamonds. So in that case, because there were four different charges stemming from four different incidents, there were outstanding felonies. Uh, We effectuated, well, not we, I effectuated a self-surrender. Had the client not obtained a lawyer and just sat at home while there were outstanding warrants for his arrest for those 
theft allegations. Taking the dog for a walk. Yeah. He could have been picked up by the police. Scooped up by the police. Outstanding warrants. And what would happen to the dog? You saved that dog, Caroline. Anyway, to okay. keep on track. See, <laughs> again, on... I can't dialogue. I'm not I trying. To, I'm not trying to contain you. Okay. I'm letting you go. All right. Um, so, because uh, he re- obtained counsel, I called the the affiant, and the affiant in a case because people also ask for definitions. Any affiant in a criminal complaint is the primary officer who authored the complaint. Frequently mispronounced by prosecutors as affiant. Do what they? is that like French? I've never. It's heard like that. they can also pronounce tradifferent. What do they say for tradifferent? Oh my God, I can't even begin to 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 enunciate the ways that they mangle tradifferent township. Tradifferent township listeners, if you're not from around here, is one of the townships in Chester County. Can you spell tradifferent? I can, but I'm not going to do it right now. All right, now. go ahead. I'm sorry. I can. Okay, good for you. Um, so basically, because there was outstanding warrants in that case, and in any case, if you hire a lawyer, the lawyer can call the affiant, the arresting officer, and arrange for a self-surrender, which means you agree upon a date with the district court, which we'll get into, uh, when the client, the lawyer, and the police officer can bring the client before the court and have that court arraign the client. And that is a self-surrender that shows um, cooperation with the police, and that can help any case. Um, Why don't you explain what arraignment is? Uh, Well, that's a preliminary arraignment, which is done at a a district court. So in Chester County, I don't know how many district courts we have. Fifteen. Something like that. Uh, Depending upon where the the case is uh, initiated, you would go in front of the local district judge, or let's say that you got arrested in the middle of the night, then you'd go to an on-call district judge who might be on the other side of the county. Excuse me. Um, But uh, a preliminary arraignment is just that. It's very basic. It's it's designed to uh, have the judge uh, get personal information from you, uh, emergency contact people, uh, your ties to the community, how long you've been. Did you hit the – please tell me you turned that on. No, I did. I just wanted to see how long we've been talking. Um, And uh, whether you have a criminal history. You sometimes would be preliminarily arraigned without a lawyer. Uh, You're not necessarily entitled to counsel at the time of a preliminary arraignment. I don't think. Maybe you could ask Uh, for one, but it would be delayed. No, you're not entitled, but that is the procedure in which the judge says you have a right to counsel. Uh, Yeah. Um, So the the point is, is basically just to advise you of the charges and to set bail. And we can talk about bail at some point. Are we going to talk about bail in this episode? I think bail is its own animal. Okay. And then the next step is what's called a preliminary hearing. And we're talking about the procedures that start at a district court level. In the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, and I'm going to exclude Philadelphia County from this conversation. um, Because that's its own animal, too. In the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, in most counties, there is the district court level, which are smaller courts. It's not yet the trial court level. It's smaller courts in um, various jurisdictions within a county. Is that the right way to explain Mm -hmm. it? Municipalities, areas, Mm -hmm. like in Downingtown, uh, that judge would cover both Downingtown, well, not both, but would cover Downingtown Borough, I think parts of Count Township. Uh, in Tredifferin, uh there's Tredifferin Township, Easttown Township. So there are areas 
Um, and depending upon the size of the county, I mean, some counties might have geographically be larger than ours, but they're not going to have as many district courts because they're not as populated. So the district court is basically the screening process for the trial court level. And two procedures happen at a district court level. The preliminary arraignment, which is what we just discussed when uh, you're told your right to counsel. If you don't have one yet, how do you plead? Not guilty. Always not guilty at a preliminary arraignment. Um, you're also told your, your rights and bail is set. The other procedure that happens at district court is what's called a preliminary hearing. You want to explain the preliminary hearing? Yeah, it's a probable cause hearing. And I'm old enough to remember when we were allowed a lot more latitude in preliminary hearings than we are today. And since I'm stubborn and um, and remember those days, I don't necessarily ascribe to the way that, that uh, they're handled now. They're handled very summarily, frequently. Uh, an example being um, in DUI cases, used to be the police officer would be asked, and this is locally anyway in Chester County, the police officer would be asked about the field sobriety tests and uh, we would cross on each of those field sobriety tests. Now they're told just to say whether they passed or failed and then the judges don't want to hear anything else about it. And the Commonwealth objects and says it goes to suppression. Yeah, which it frankly does, but it also goes to probable cause. The and reliability and veracity of the investigation. I tend to appeal to the district judge's um, desire to remain employed by explaining to them that what prosecutors are trying to do is to marginalize them and to make them irrelevant and that the purpose of, of this hearing is to screen out cases that shouldn't go to the court of common pleas. Sometimes that works. Sometimes, not to mention names, judges don't care and uh, are content to just be... Uh, rubber stamps? Yeah, rubber stamps or potted plant. Um, but uh, the, the purpose... The purpose of the preliminary hearing is just that, to establish probable cause um, that a crime is committed and that the client may have been the one that committed it. It's not a very heavy burden. It's rare that uh, cases are dismissed, at least in, in the counties. And Philadelphia, the reason we're excluding Philadelphia is they have their own separate uh, municipal court that kind of replaces the district courts, as I understand it. I don't practice in Philadelphia a lot. I let you do that since you were a city dweller. Um, but... Uh, at the end of that hearing, we well, first of all, we don't put on evidence. Explain why we don't put on evidence. See, we, dialogue. Ooh, I'm doing that's this. That's good because yeah, yeah. we don't have the burden of proof. And also, we don't want to show our hand to the other side because there's a lot of backfilling that happens through the prosecution. You're so cynical at such a, a relatively young age of criminal defense. I hope I'm not making you cynical. It, uh, the, Do you the, disagree? Backfilling? Yeah, I mean, that's a concern. But I, I would say that the primary reason is that it's not really going to make a difference. The, the judge, uh, the, the analogy I use, hearkening back to my Catholic school horror days, is that if they have a convicted felon saying the sky is red and I have four nuns saying the sky is blue, the judge is not to make credibility determinations. The judge is to take the evidence of the Commonwealth in the, the light most favorable and then decide, uh, assuming it's you know believed, uh, that that probable cause has been established. Now, that's not to say that judges aren't human and in certain circumstances do the right thing, but technically the law is that it is the Commonwealth's evidence and the Commonwealth's evidence alone that, that decides whether probable cause has been established. I think in my career, um, which is now a quarter of a decade, 
no, quarter of a century. Yikes. <laughs> um, that I've called witnesses at a preliminary hearing maybe a handful of times, two or three times. And that's only when I make a strategic decision that there doesn't have to be a credibility determination, that if this is the only evidence and the Commonwealth cannot rebut it, um, that the case should be dismissed. And it worked. I'm not going to get too technical, but the point is that the hearings are um, not there to determine whether you're guilty or not. Right. And let me tie this up with a bow. Preliminary hearings are not constitutional rights. Preliminary hearings were set in place by statute. You have a constitutional right to a trial at the trial court level, but preliminary hearings are codified in legislation, right? Yeah, but there are constitutional rights that attach to the preliminary. Um, and I think that gets lost um, and has been lost and has been slowly ins insidiously eroded by a complicit legislature uh, and, frankly, um, at times, appellate courts to marginalize preliminary hearings. And they're important because people can sit in jail for months on a stupid, you know, preliminary hearing that was handled inappropriately uh, where the, a, a judge isn't paying attention or a judge is allowing in evidence that would never see a light of day in a courtroom in the, in the Court of Common Pleas. And that's the purpose of that hearing, to ensure that they're not sitting in jail for unnecessarily for months. And that's why they were... That was me on my soapbox. Yeah, and that's why they were put in place by statute, though. The whole point is to make sure the right people get to the trial court level on the right charges. And that is why the burden is so low. Is this the right person? More likely than not, when Pete says a probable cause standard, they also call it prima facie standard. Uh, it's more likely than not... Another prosecution, prima facie. I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> I was just drawing you in. Um, that that the whole point of the preliminary hearing is to make sure the right person was charged with the right crimes, but the burden's so low. And when Pete talks about that the facts are viewed in the light most favorable to the Commonwealth, that's just to make sure that, again, the right person is going to the trial court level on the right charges. Um, and that's why credibility doesn't matter because it's in the light most viewed, the light viewed. Uh, Light most favorable light to the Commonwealth. Most favorable to the Commonwealth. Too much Pedialyte. <laughs> um, and we should also, I, I guess we'll go back and talk about what you do when you get that complaint, what what you should do, what you shouldn't do. I guess this was more the, the procedure, right? And then we also, we can talk, whether it's now or if we uh, save it for later, about our approach to preliminary hearings, whether to have them, whether to waive them, whether to negotiate the withdrawal of, of charges um, in return for a waiver. You want to talk about that now or later? Yeah, why not? Let's keep the procedure aspect <coughs> of this podcast episode to... We're so structured. Trying to be structured, but you don't feel contained. You're not restricted. Not quite. Uh, let's keep it to district court level. We won't talk about trials yet in this episode. Go ahead. So what do you want to talk about? The strategy of a preliminary hearing? Mm -hmm. Without why giving I, too much away. Why do I have to talk? Oh, you raised it. Oh. I mean, I'm happy to talk about All right, about there are it. three possibilities, Caroline, uh, when we talk about a probable cause hearing, whether on misdemeanors or, or felonies or a combination of the two. One is to have the preliminary hearing to put the Commonwealth to their burden, however you know uh, small of a burden that is. And that would, that would uh, entail the Commonwealth 
putting forth enough evidence to establish probable cause. Can I tell a story? Go ahead. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to mention names. I'd love to. But uh, back in the day, I will say that this involves Judge Sugarman, who was a, a legendary judge in Chester County. He was brilliant, um, and uh, he was not to be messed with. He, that was the first courtroom I was put in as a public defender was Judge Sugarman. Have I talked about this before? I don't know. All right. Well, that's a whole other I mean, story. I'm not flagged to it yet. <clears throat> about my, my experience with Judge Sugarman. But suffice it to say that Judge Sugarman was uh, an intellectual giant, which is not always the case with judges, um, and had a booming voice and a a, a, a temper that you did not want to trigger. We, when we were, when I was a young public defender, we would have these. We would be on the circuit. We would have to do these these you know probable cause hearings. That's all we were allowed to do. And somebody from my office filed what's called a habeas corpus petition, uh, meaning that they 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 uh, alleged to Judge Sugarman, the the trial judge that the Commonwealth had not met its burden So of this is at cause. the Court of Common right. Pleas. So the case had a preliminary hearing. The defense attorney files a motion to Judge Sugarman saying that the, common, the, the district court judge made a mistake by finding probable cause. That's called a habeas corpus motion under our local rules. So Judge Sugarman was in courtroom one. It was this beautiful courtroom in the old courthouse. And I remember <laughs> being in the courtroom and a younger, at the time, assistant district attorney uh, is arguing the case to the judge. And the judge said something like, well, why didn't you put this evidence on? Because I think now that the DA was saying, well, we can supplement the record. And they're allowed and to do that. And that's what they do. They're allowed to add evidence uh, after the fact if, if the judge needs to see it. Why wasn't this evidence put on? And the prosecutor says to the judge, uh, well, judge, uh, and I wish I could mention his name because this is the way he talked. Uh, we're told not to, to, and I really like this prosecutor. He was he was transparent. Um, I'm never gonna, but not on the air. Uh, it would embarrass him, but he it might not embarrass him. But the point is, he was transparent, and he says to the judge, "We're told by our deputy, who I'd also love to name, but won't, um, only to put on is the absolute bare amount of evidence that we uh, that we can, and not to show our cards." Well, Judge Sugarman, I could envision him. He had, like, glasses, putting his glasses down. Show your cards! <laughs> on the bench, he gets on the phone, and he calls the DA at the time, who then became a judge who recently retired, and says, Tony, get down here! And I remember also watching the DA just walking, you know, down like, you know, like he was he was kind of a frenetic guy. He's like, what's going on? I don't know why I'm getting called down here. I don't know why. And getting called into chambers with this young DA, the, uh, the DA, the, the actual DA and Judge Sugarman. I thought it was hilarious. But the point is that I think <laughs> I don't know what the point is. I, I, I. <laughs> They they try to not there. to they try not to put on uh, uh, they do still it's it's a bit of a game frankly they they don't want to put on too much evidence um, and I don't know what else we were talking about <laughs> okay so <laughs> I'll bring it back we were talking about the three different options for oh, having yeah, a preliminary yeah, okay, hearing okay. so you were saying the first is to actually have a preliminary Correct. hearing and to and, and that's in the context of a defensible case and by that I mean your strategy from the outset 
is possibly going towards a pretrial motion, possibly going towards a trial, working down the case to an advantageous plea that would require challenging the Commonwealth's evidence at a preliminary hearing, that's when you have a, a probable cause hearing. Or if the Commonwealth has the wrong person. Or if there's no downside at all to it, and on principle I have a preliminary hearing. Right. When you don't have a preliminary hearing, and clients often get confused with this, when you when you don't have one, it doesn't mean you don't show up to it. <laughs> I've had that happen like once. How many has that ever happened to you? They always ask, so I don't have to be there. No, you have to go. I always th- th- sometimes if you do this long enough, I guess you just assume things. And I had one where the client just thought, "Well, we're waving it. I don't need to be there." So that's what it's called. If you don't have the preliminary hearing, that means you are stipulating or agreeing to probable cause. Okay, the Commonwealth can meet its probable cause burden here. Let's just get this case to the trial court level. It's called a waiver, waiving your preliminary hearing. The client has to go because they have to make a knowing, intelligent, and voluntary waiver of their preliminary hearing, their right to challenge the evidence at that level. And what does it mean when you waive? It means you you concede probable cause. And it gives you, well, it's supposed to give you credit for early acceptance of responsibility. For those cases, you're definitely trying to do some damage control and work out an advantageous plea. You said supposed to. You don't think it does? Sometimes mitigation doesn't matter in certain jurisdictions as much as mm. it should. But that's the, the cynical part, apparently, of me. You're so cynical. I think Eat it's more, more grapes. I don't want to eat. Oh, oh, they're there to be thrown at me, aren't yeah. they? All right. Yeah, just to keep you in line, although right. I'm not here to contain you. I think I've been pretty good. So you far. have been pretty good, right. despite your milkshake that you're drinking. Can you put the lid on your Pedialyte? <laughs> it's making me nervous that you might spill it. What flavor is that? Berry? It's strawberry. Oh, God. <laughs> that that remind, that looks like the stuff that they would put, that a dentist would, like that awful oh, uh, gel that they would put in the thing and then jam onto your teeth. That's what that looks like. It, you it know what? Tastes it like. tastes pretty good. Don't knock it till you try it. No, I'm not going to. I haven't tried Pedialyte in like. 50 and a half years. <laughs> the other thing I like is Pedialyte Pops. And they're, they're mm. like the frozen okay. push-up pops. Anyway, besides the point. So that, oh, the third My option. My favorite Bitmoji is the Lonely Popsicle. Have you ever seen that? You know what Bitmoji is, right? I know. Yeah, you, you know what Bitmoji communicate is. to yeah. me purely. Well, I communicate with my family exclusively by Bitmojis. Bitmoji. And whenever I, I don't a... know where they are and I'm alone, it's the Lonely Popsicle. It's a little obscure, though. It just looks like a popsicle with a guy in it. I, I would use another word for that. Let's stop talking about popsicles. Okay. All right, so we, we talked about having a hearing. We talked about waiving a hearing. And then are you talking about an amended waiver? Is that the third? Well, that would be the third. Okay. Have at it. So an amended waiver is when in lieu of having a hearing and waiving the entire complaint, which means in every complaint you're charged with one or more offenses. Sometimes you have a hearing because you and the – or your attorney, your defense attorney, and the prosecutor can't agree on the crimes that should be held for trial court level. If you can agree on certain charges that should be held and shouldn't be held, or if you negotiate some some sort of resolution at the preliminary hearing level, what that means is the Commonwealth can withdraw certain charges in exchange for your client's waiver of the outstanding charges. Indeed, you can um, negotiate a case. You just did that without mentioning names. You can talk about that procedure, how you negotiated a case at the district court level um, well, good. Sure. Uh, Without specifics, just explain the, how that can work. 
that can work when, whenever there's a complaint, there's something attached to it called the affidavit of probable cause. From the affidavit of probable cause, the police officer and the prosecutor are outlining the reason why you're charged. And all of the, the facts in that affidavit of probable cause have to be sufficient to meet each element of every crime you're charged with. And that is going to be another episode for another day. All I mean, all I, that <laughs> softball question was designed to elicit oh. is that you can negotiate a resolution of the case in the court of common pleas in return for a waiver. For instance, your client's charged with a nasty felony and you agree that the felony will be withdrawn and that you will waive on a misdemeanor and receive probation in the court of common pleas. That can happen as well. That's oh, how I meant. Well, but you have to have a reason to do that. And what All I was right. saying is there was insufficient evidence in that affidavit of probable cause to support the felony. So the agreement was waive on the felony for a representation that the ultimate plea will be for a misdemeanor and probation. Okay. Okay. That's all I was explaining. But, you know, I don't mean to be so technical. You I just, are you very technical. I, I know. I know it frustrates you, but you know. No, I mean have, I need it. Uh, we have listeners who have said that the way we talk, they don't understand certain words, and I'm trying to make sure that mm. everything we say is fleshed out in some way, shape, or form. Um, so those are the three options: you have a hearing, you waive a hearing, you do an amended waiver. And this will segue into what you do after you get a complaint. Uh, one of the things that's important in terms of making those decisions is that you actually meet with your defense attorney before your preliminary hearing. I was in district court today Wait, and it was apparent it was apparent that a lawyer had never met the the client had been retained one of these lawyers that gets the majority of their clients off of the internet don't get your defense lawyer off the internet or from this podcast you interview your defense lawyer and and or you get a recommendation from somebody that you trust for a defense lawyer. And that's what we'll talk about. Oh, in the next episode? Yeah, sure. But the point is that it, it just, when I sit in these district courts and I watch, that, 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 that it's obvious that the defense attorney has no idea who their client is. So I we'll mean, get, how do you represent somebody like that? Let's talk about that in the next episode. We have to hit our bits and sign out of this episode. Okay. We I'm have nervous. structure. I'm nervous. Okay, so the next bit is, or the first bit is, time for you may think you can but you can't okay caroline you may think you can but you can't represent yourself okay and the second bit is no 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 oh. we talk about that bit first. oh, oh <laughs> all right. we have to talk about it too yeah that's the whole point all right all right you made... this was your bit oh was it yeah um you should never represent yourself why not because there is no firewall between you and the police and the uh, prosecutor when you represent yourself. And because you don't know what you're doing. And because the police officer is allowed to mislead you. Um, you don't need a lawyer. You know, we can, we can, we can talk this out. Well, you got to get a lawyer. You must, you must be guilty. Um, you're going to complicate things. Don't fall for it because that is a tool in their chest. They're allowed to mislead you. Um, the only reason that I could ever think that somebody wouldn't hire a lawyer is because they don't want to spend the money. Well, if you don't want to spend the money because you don't have the money, then you get court-appointed lawyer. You're entitled to a lawyer if you're going to be uh, charged with a crime. Um, and in terms of, of money, you know, 
I don't compare myself often to a doctor. We talked about the fact of why I'm not a doctor. Doctors are very important. But the way that people make decisions about who to hire as a lawyer and whether to hire a lawyer, I would, I would draw an analogy to a doctor. If you have a toothache, you don't pull it out yourself. You don't find a, a dentist, it seems to me, or even something more severe than a toothache. Your appendix hurts. You don't just look at the first ad on the internet and decide that's oh yeah that's a doctor for me. You do research. You get you get um, referrals, and that's the way you should pick a lawyer. Because what's more important than your health and your freedom? And you're messing with your freedom when you try to do things without a lawyer. All right. The next bit was that did I did I do okay with that bit? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm satisfied. All right. You don't know this, but what am I supposed to say? <laughs> I'll say this one. Oh, okay. I just wanted to see your reaction. So this is something about us. You don't know this, but our practice is not just the two of us. Right. Well, who, tell them about where we work and what we do. Well, who else works with us, Pete? Well, our Directly. paralegal, our indispensable paralegal, Donna. Donna is indispensable. Correct. Without She's more important than you or me. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, Donna worked with Pete years ago at another law firm. Moved away to Florida, came back, and now she's with Just us. Just to be with me. I know. That's not true. No, it's a nice, it's a, it's a nice um, combination, but Donna is really smart, really efficient. She keeps us organized. Um, she keeps our, at least my files, organized. She uh, interacts with clients. A paralegal is somebody that can do some legal drafting for uh, uh discovery requests, for instance, and, and other motions that the lawyers then review and sign off on. So, yeah. Okay, so if you have questions pertaining to criminal law especially, though, for this podcast, we'll address them on air. Again, subject to cross at com. We're going to sign off now. See you next time. Bye.